Welcome to Have Hope Will Travel. I'm your host, Katie Axelson, and I'm going to go ahead and apologize in advance in case you hear any loud, weird noises from the background of my microphone here. It has finally warmed up here in Minnesota, and snow is falling and melting off my roof very, very quickly. It keeps sounding like people are falling. I'm not naive enough to think that this is actually spring. This is just a little reprieve from the winter, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Other than the house cracking and the snow melting and the loud noises that that makes. But we deal with it, and we move on. It's just not great for the podcasting space. One thing I'm doing this year in 2021 is I'm reading through the Bible in its entirety. I go back and forth every couple years and read it again as if it's a story I'm not familiar with. And the years that I don't do it, usually sometime around March or maybe May, I'm like, hey, I should read the Bible this year, and then I try to cram it in for the remainder of the year. And I didn't read it in 2020, the whole thing. Of course, I read the Bible in 2020. I just didn't read it from beginning to end. So I thought, hmm, 2021 would be a good year to do that. So I started from the beginning. And starting at the beginning in January, you get way more time to sit into the scriptures than you do by starting from the beginning in May. It's been really refreshing. It's been amazing to see the different ways that God has shown up, even in the Torah. I'm still in Deuteronomy. The first five books of the Old Testament are called the Torah. And it's been cool to read familiar scriptures and to notice things that I've never noticed before. If we've not connected on Instagram, I'm at Katie Axelson. And some of the little things I'm sharing with my Instagram friends. If you're a little overwhelmed by the concept of reading the Bible in its entirety, check out a book called Woven by Angie Smith. It comes out later this March. I was gifted an advanced reader copy I have since gone on and purchased multiple copies of my own on pre-order because this is going to be a book that I want to give to people. It is a great like crash course in scripture. So it's a starting place if you've never read the Bible as a whole or if you're not really sure how things connect. Angie Smith tells the story of when she first became a Christian. She went and got a Precious Moments Bible so that she could figure out what this actual story was because she was not familiar with the way the story, the Bible worked. She had just heard little stories and couldn't connect them all together. At the risk of perpetuating that problem a little bit more, I'm going to highlight a story that I found in Genesis 20. This is a story that I was familiar with, but this year when I read it, it hit me in a whole new way. So Genesis 20, and I'm reading the NIV. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while, he stayed in Gerar. And there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, She is my sister? And did she not say to me, He is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know you did it with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. This is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all of his officials, And when he told them all what had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, 
What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What is your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, There is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, This is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham. And he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. Then Abimelech said, My land is before you. Live wherever you like. To Sarah he said, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who were with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female slaves, so they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Let me just confess, the story makes me so mad. It makes me mad for actually quite a few reasons. First, this is not the first time Abraham used this lie. You can tell because he said, everywhere we go, tell people you're my sister. Yeah, he used this lie back in Genesis 12. That story makes me a little bit less mad because Pharaoh gets mad and kicks them out of Egypt. And then Isaac uses this same lie on Abimelech again in Genesis 26. And that story makes me go, hey, Abimelech, how did you fall for the same thing twice? Like no one shows up with a beautiful sister. Okay, got it. Good. But the Genesis 20 story makes me angry because when I read it, I see Abraham being deceitful with a half truth. And I feel like Abimelech is being honest, but he's the one who has to make it right. Abimelech didn't mess up, at least not knowingly. He made the right decision with the information that he had. You know who did mess up? Abraham. And you know who doesn't have to pay for his mistake? Yeah, that's right. Abraham. Do you know who gets blessed by God? Yeah, dishonest Abe. I much prefer the section of the Old Testament that employs the idea that obedience leads to blessing, disobedience leads to cursing, though I do recognize that theory has its own flaws. But I also think that this story is a picture of our lives sometimes. Maybe it's just me, but I'm pretty sure it's not. Because sometimes we're Abraham, not trusting God to protect us. It seems that's the whole reason he lied in the first place. He's got a lack of faith. And still he gets blessed. Mere verses after we finish reading, old, though apparently still beautiful, Sarah gives birth to Isaac, the promised child. God still fulfilled his promise to Abraham. My friend, if you don't hear anything else in this episode, know that even in your doubt, even in your lack of trust, even in your struggles with faith, God still blesses you. But that's not my particular point today. In this particular story, I feel like God punishes not the deceiver, but the deceived. And when I've been deceived, oh, how badly do I want God to punish the deceiver? Like, I'm the good guy here, God. Why don't you not recognize that? Bless me. Why am I the one in trouble? I don't think that hard times in our lives are punishment from God. I Just like I don't think natural disasters or pandemics are punishments from God. Though he does use the same elsewhere in the book of Genesis. Nor do I think that obedience always leads to blessing and disobedience always leads to cursing. 
though we do see that elsewhere in the Torah. Now that we got the disclaimers out of the way, let me tell you that I straight up feel like a Bimelech. I feel like I did nothing wrong, and still my life got flipped upside down. To quote Ruby Sue in Christmas Vacation, we ain't done nothing wrong, and we still got the shaft. Oh, how I feel that. I feel that on so many levels. And we're not just talking about presents from Santa. We're talking about lack of opportunities. We're talking about how sometimes the people who are supposed to be our guardrail protecting us are the very ones who push us over the edge. Or remember the time I stayed overnight at a New Year's Eve party so I could be safe and then totaled my car on the way home at 8 o'clock the following morning instead? All of those feelings bubble to the surface when I read about Abimelech. And I suspect you've got some too. Times when you've been deceived or misled or wronged and you feel like you're the one having to go out of your way to make it right and the offender walks free. Abimelech's intentions were pure. In fact, most of us don't go around intending to sin against other people. That would be manipulative and toxic. Most of us end up sinning when we have good intentions. Like Abimelech, we see something we want and there's no reason we can't have it. So with good intentions and right action, we take it to be ours. Only to later find out there were real reasons we couldn't have it. And now we're the ones in trouble. My boss and I got into a fight this last week. He made a decision that hurt me and undermined a decision I had already made. We've worked together for five years and this is the most mad at him I have ever been. And so I told him that. And he outlined what happened from his perspective and explained why he thought he made the right decision. And then I outlined the exact same story from my perspective and explained why I thought he made a terrible decision. We both learned details from each other that we hadn't previously known. And I understand better why he made his decision, even though I still don't agree with it. And he admitted the information I had would have impacted his decision and that we should have talked about it. We agreed on how we were going to move forward. And by the end of the conversation, I said, just so you know, I'm going to tease you about this in the future. And here's the thing. My boss didn't intend to hurt me with his decision. He didn't intend to undermine the decision I had already made. He thought he was making the best decision there was. And yes, he got feedback for not asking more questions of the person who was directly involved. That would be me. But he wasn't trying to make my life more difficult. His intentions were good. And still I got hurt and frustrated. So we made it right. He went out of his way to call me into his office so I could yell at him. I didn't actually raise my voice, but I did lecture him and help him understand the impact of his decision. And when he called me into his office, he knew he was in trouble. And he made it right with me. And then do you know what? There had been a couple of other co-workers who had been with me when I found out about the poor, poor decision. They saw the smoke coming out of my ears. So my boss and I determined a plan to move forward, and we regained trust in each other. I sought out those co-workers who knew I had been mad and knew, made sure that they knew I was no longer mad. We made it right. My boss and I were on the same team again. Forgiveness is granted and trust is restored in both of us. And the example feels kind of weak because I know that not everyone has access to a boss who would make it right like that. And I know that not every hard situation is resolved with a single conversation because I think this concept of the one who is deceived needing to go out of their way to make it right is especially important when we talk about racism. Because you can say to me, Katie, I'm not a racist. 
And goodness, I hope that is true. But it doesn't discount the fact that we live in a racist world. And the best analogy I've heard comes from Isabel Wilkerson, the author of the book Cast. Let me warn you, it is a heavy book. And it's long. But it's also really, really good. So I recommend you read it. And I recommend you take your time reading it. Don't cram and try to read it the night before book club. Not that that happened, of course. Wilkerson writes, America is an old house. We can never declare the work over. Wind, flood, drought, and human upheaval batter a structure that is already fighting against whatever flaws were left unattended in the original foundation. She goes on to explain that owners of old houses know ignoring things don't make them go away. In fact, ignoring things makes them worse. She writes, we in the developed world are like the homeowner who inherited a house on a piece of land that's beautiful on the outside, but whose soil is unstable loam and rock, heaving and contracting over generations. Cracks patched from the deep ruptures wave through the decades, centuries even. Many people say rightly, I had nothing to do with how this all started. I have nothing to do with the sins of the past. My ancestors never intact indigenous people, never owned slaves. And yes, not one of us was here when this house was built. Our immediate ancestors may have had nothing to do with it. But here we are, the current occupants of a property with stress cracks and bowed walls and fissures built into the foundation. We are heirs to whatever is right or wrong with it. We did not erect uneven pillars or joists, but they are ours to deal with now. And maybe this resonates with me because almost two years ago, I bought my own house. And in the last two weeks, I've been listening to the noises a house makes at sub-zero temperatures. Let me just tell you that 18 degrees below zero makes your house make totally different noises than at any other temperature. Cracking sounds sounded like a bowling alley was happening in my attic. More than once, I sat bolt upright in bed because I was convinced someone fell off my roof. Why they were on my roof at 3 o'clock in the morning? Yeah, my brain couldn't figure that out. But they weren't on my roof anymore. The crackling and settling are unsettling. It's my house, and I want to take care of it. Like I told you, the snow is already falling off my roof. It's loud. It makes noises. And because this is my house, when things break, if that snow falls into my window... It's my responsibility to find the right repair person to fix it. Did you know that plumbers don't fix indoor sprinkler systems? Fire prevention people do. No idea they even existed. The first two plumbers I had out here told me my sprinkler system was fine. The water pressure was fine. There was nothing wrong. Except something was clearly wrong. And had an inspector not insisted I get it taken care of, I may have just let it go. But I pursued the fire prevention people, and I'm so glad I did, because we made it right. And that's what it looks like right now in America. We own this house. We need to take care of it. And it was built on the foundation of racism. We didn't create that rocky foundation, but it is our responsibility to repair it. It starts with recognizing it when we see it. I explained on Instagram this week the concept of white privilege using license plates. I lived in North Carolina for seven years with a Wisconsin license plate on my car. 
Never once was I pulled over because of the license plate on my car. But I have a friend here in Minnesota who legally has Georgia license plates on her car. And she gets pulled over regularly. The difference isn't in our driving. We're both great drivers. The difference is in the color of our skin. When God calls Abimelech out for his bad behavior, Abimelech doesn't play the victim. He explains his innocence, and then he asks what it's going to take to make it right. And God acknowledges you did this with a clear conscience, but you still did it. It's still done. Abimelech still has to make restitution. My boss still had to make restitution to regain my trust. In the example of race, it's going to take us a little longer to get there. There's more damage that's been done than one bad decision. But together, we're going to throw everything we can at equality. We're going to fight for racial reconciliation. We're going to use our white privilege to stand up for and with others. We're going to actively learn to be better anti-racist. We're not always going to get it right. I will say insensitive things again. I hate it, and I'm going to try not to do it. But reality is, at some point, it will happen. So how do I own it and apologize? What if I don't know what I was said was insensitive, or I didn't mean to be racist because I didn't know the word I used had those connotations? I could play the victim and say, oh, I didn't know, moving on. Or I could say, thank you for educating me. I didn't realize it had those connotations. I'm going to remove that from my vocabulary. I'm going to make it right. And let's just be honest and admit that it hurts. No one ever wants to be told we're wrong. Abimelech could have said, I didn't know. She's mine now. It's Abe's fault. He lied and try to argue with God about it. But he doesn't. Abimelech makes a sacrifice. Not only does he lose Sarah, the woman he took with a clean conscience, he gives sheep, cattle, and other gifts to Abraham. He gives Abraham his choice of land. He gives money for restitution. He generously gives to Abraham and Sarah to make right what was wrong and to set them up for success. The only thing Abraham, the deceiver, and the source of the miscommunication and the death threat from God is to pray for Abimelech. Chapter 20 ends. With men, Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech. Abimelech and his whole household were healed once they made right a wrong that they didn't know that they'd committed. And I hate that we all make wrongs that we don't realize we're committing. My boss didn't know how badly he was wronging me with that decision that he made. We say things and we do things that we don't realize come from our racist history. There are a lot of sayings in English that we don't realize have racist backgrounds. Grandfathered in, racist phrase. Long time no see, racist phrase. There are a lot of them. And it's our responsibility to make it right and to figure out what we're going to say instead so that we don't continue to perpetuate the racist history. Abimelech messed up. But he didn't know that he messed up. And when he found out, he asked God what he needs to do to make this right. So next time you find yourself in a situation where you messed up, even if you didn't know that you messed up, 
ask the individual that you harmed what it's going to take to make it right. What it's going to take to move forward from there. And the sacrifice might be great. Abimelech giving Abraham the choice of land is a pretty great sacrifice. Jesus giving his life is a pretty great sacrifice. I'm not saying in any way that it's easy to sacrifice to the individual who intentionally deceived you. The individual who led you to this place. When you feel like you've done everything right and still you've got a mess in your hands. But it's the step you need to take to move forward in whatever capacity that looks like. When you're not sure how to move forward, start the way Abraham did and pray for the offender. It hurts so bad. Let me just tell you, it hurts so bad. Sometimes I can only get out their name and the phrase bless them, and that's all I've got. But I gotta start there. And some days I can get out a little more. And then I can say a little more and bless them a little bit harder. It's not easy. It's incredibly painful and it comes with a lot of tears. But it's important. Not for them. They don't care. They don't know. And if what happened is getting between you and God, as it was for Abimelech, Abimelech and his whole household couldn't have children while this situation was happening. Get before the Lord and confess that you were hurt. Confess that you did it with a clean conscience. Confess that you didn't mean for that situation to fall apart the way that it did. And then ask the Lord what it's going to take to make it right. That doesn't make it go away. The decision my boss made cannot be undone. But you better believe next time he gets in that situation where a decision needs to be made, he's going to find the person who knows more about the situation than he does to be able to make sure that we're making the best decision. Be it me, be it a different member of our team. He learned from that situation. And I learned from that situation. The information I have needs to be communicated more clearly up front instead of waiting to be asked questions so that we can stay a team and stay on the same page with how we're going to act. We are all constantly learning, constantly growing, constantly messing up, and constantly needing to step forward again in forgiveness. It sucks. But it's life. And I wish I could say that life with other Christians meant that we didn't run into this. But that's not true. To be completely honest, some of my worst wounds have been at the hands of other Christians. The most terrible things that have been said or done to me have been done by other people who love Jesus. And I wish I could give you three simple steps to be able to heal from wounds like that. Like have the prophet pray for you, give a bunch of money and a bunch of land, and boom, it'll be done. That's not the way life works, unfortunately. And even if there was a simple solution, it's not going to work for everybody. But what I have learned is that forgiveness comes through empathy and understanding. Not necessarily receiving where the person is coming from, but hearing their perspective. When my boss told me his side of the story, I understand a whole lot better how he came to the conclusion he came to. When you hear someone's story, you hear their own history. You hear their triggers. You hear their own lack of healing and what caused them to respond in the way that they did. 
And then forgiveness is intentionally choosing to move forward. It's not engaging with the content that hurt anymore. It's not replaying the story over and over and over again in your head. If you continue to replay that story, it's going to hurt. It's getting to the point where I can honestly tease my boss about the decision that he made without feeling the pain of the decision again. Because if I'm teasing him about it and I'm actually still hurt by it, I'm only perpetuating the brokenness between us. But if I can tease him about it in a way of we've moved on and put that aside and I trust you again, that's where healing sits. And if he can hear my feedback and my teasing and to know, yeah, I goofed, but I'm not going to continue to carry that, that's when we can move into a healthy work relationship. Forgiveness and healing is setting new boundaries and fighting to keep them. I hope Abimelech asks more questions next time he tries to take a woman as his wife. He kind of does, actually, in Genesis 26, when he sees Isaac and Rebekah, Isaac's supposed sister, um, being very friendly. And Abimelech summons Isaac and goes, Is she really your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? He asks more questions. And then he tells his men not to touch Rebekah. He learned his lesson. And we are all always learning. Thank you for wrestling through this with me this week. If you are new to Have Hope Will Travel, make sure to hit that subscribe button, leave a rating, leave a review, maybe share the episode with a friend. There are additional resources available at katieaxelson.com. My friend, I hope that you are blessed. I hope that you know how deeply you are loved. And I hope that you're willing to do what it takes to make it right. We'll see you again in two weeks. We've got some new friends who are coming to share their stories.